Hello, hello, and excuse me, welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement, and hopefully one day a true proletarian revolution. Um, But until we get there, uh, I am your host, Josh, and thanks for stopping by. So today I am kind of following up in my critique of the left in the United States, um, only because I feel like this is something that the left uh, and those in the West kind of do very often, Um, and I wanted to kind of connect it to the reasons why it has caused problems in organizing for the left of the United States. So... It all started, <laughs> what, what wanted me, what made me want to do this blog was I was on Facebook, as I usually am, and I was reading a comrade of mine's post, which, uh, it, you know, not for nothing, I'm not trying to be rude or anything, but it, it did strike me as odd. Um, so let me go ahead and read you that, and then I want to, I want to talk about it a bit. So the quote is by Emma Goldman, and it says, quote, the living vital truth of social and economic well-being will become a reality only through the zeal, courage, and the non-compromising determination of the intelligent minorities and not through the masses, unquote. So, as someone who is a Maoist, you would believe that uh, I have a different opinion to this. Now, I'm not trying to come in here and shit on anybody, because you know what? I've been wrong time and time again. I will be wrong time and time again. That is what, you know, being a learner, being a human being is. We're wrong. We learn from our mistakes, hopefully, and we grow. That's how you are able to progress your knowledge. Excuse me while I drink a little sip of coffee here. And now, I think this is a conversation that we, on the left, need to be having. Does a revolution come from the people, or does a revolution come from the revolutionaries? Well, first of all, we have to understand all of that in context, right? These, quote, intelligent minorities, right? Who are they? How did they get to be intelligent? Um, and also, why are they separated from the masses? Because, again, as a Maoist, I believe that I am a part of the working class. I am a part of the masses. Which means when I go and get with the masses... I'm not coming down and saying, hey, this is why I'm right. And this is why you motherfuckers better listen to me. No. I go down there, hopefully. I go down there and I say, hey, how can I help? Because here's the thing. If you are someone who believes that we need a group of just intelligent individuals who need to come down and be able to tell us what is right, what is wrong, and we should take them for their word. Um, We ought to have a little conversation about some of the differences 
between the French Revolution and the Proletarian Revolution of Paris in 1871. Here we will be able to find um, some of the answers we are looking for. So the quote says, through the determination of intelligent minorities, not through the masses, will we be able to solve the social and economic issues, quote unquote. So there's a lot to unpack here, and I only have about 30 minutes, so I'm going to do my best to stay on topic. Y'all better be proud of me, okay? (laughs) So first and foremost, I think we ought to tackle what social and economic issues means. Now, Emma Goldman was an anarchist, correct? Which means that she did not believe in a hierarchical structure. She did not believe in the need for a state. She also did not believe in the idea of any form of centralized government. So, Emma Goldman's picture of a perfect society would be picture your town with no government buildings picture your town with no police officers picture your town without rules picture your town without any form of power structure you just simply have the people So how, then, do we picture what she means by social and economic issues? So as an anarchist, she believes, ultimately, that authority corrupts, that power corrupts. So anyone who is in power will do the masses wrong. This is not a generalization. This is some of the broad ideas of anarchism. The belief that something like power gives a person the inability to act in a equal manner towards everyone, including themselves. A person with power will always want more, will always seek more control. And this is what anarchists believe has led communists to quote-unquote authoritarianism. So then social and economic issues to us in that context, according to Emma Goldman, would most likely be any form of oppression, any form of poverty, any sort of need or want that is not fulfilled. Now, this sounds like a beautiful place. And this sounds like a great idea, something we definitely need to be working towards. But the issue here, we find, is hypocrisy. Because if this is the case, if this is the sole belief of an anarchist, and if this is the belief that we want to be working towards, this kind of society, then how, might I ask, does then this anarchist purport the idea that we need intelligent minorities to lead instead of the masses. 
How does this add up? Now, we might say, oh, well, because it's, it's not in government. It's just through ideas and great conversation. Okay, I would like you to please go read a pamphlet that was written over 100 years ago called On Authority. At the end, there's a nice little thing where Engels says, essentially, it's cool if you want to change the word and call authority something else, but it's still authority. It's still power. So, we want to see, according to Emma Goldman, the social and economic issues that the broad masses uh, suffer resolved by intelligent minorities who just know better, right? Well, what does that sound like? That sounds like liberalism. If you are to learn about the French Revolution, you know that it was the bourgeoisie overthrowing, with the aid of the masses, but ultimately led by the bourgeoisie, to overthrow the aristocracy. Now, from here... The bourgeois had been telling the workers, the people, they had been saying, we are going to build a society based off of human rights. Everybody has the right to this. Everybody has the right to that. And here's how we're going to make sure that this keeps in place. We are going to set up government structures wherein the people have the right to a voice they have the right to speak their mind however we know how that developed forward we currently live in a supposed quote liberal democracy but we do not understand that a liberal democracy is just as equal to an, uh, uh, an aristocratic democracy. It has the same structures, just in different forms. Now, the aristocracy was an all-powerful being. You could not go against the monarchy. That was the plain fact. The king, the queen, the lord, the governess, the whomever was in charge. You did not go against them whatsoever. Well, then we have a liberal revolution across France, across in Britain, or excuse me, um, you have, uh, geez, Louise, holy cow. I guess I don't remember what countries at the time. I know it was the United States and France, um, but I know there's more countries, so excuse me for that. But you have these countries which finally went against the monarchy and they said, nah, fuck that. We are going to... We're going to be in power now. Thank you. Thank you very much. They cut off some heads. They went and sat at the chairs that these people just were in. And boy, oh boy, would the anarchists be happy to know that then they just got corrupt. And we see that today. What is the difference, truly, between a Congress and a king? Now, we're told, well, you have the House of Representatives, right? And you have also the Senate. You have also the Supreme Court. You have 
the executive branch, the president, the vice president, etc. These are all, quote, checks and balances put in place for protection. Well, look at who has the ultimate say. The Supreme Court, you cannot go against. They are the ultimate law of the land. The Supreme Court right now is, I believe, 13 of the most backward-thinking motherfuckers in this entire country. And somehow, even though we can't do anything other than what they tell us, somehow this is different than an, uh, an aristocracy. The difference, in the same way between the difference in, in authority and force, according to an anarchist, is the same difference between a king and a queen and a supreme court. Because ultimately, in the same way that you couldn't combat the king and the queen, you can't combat the supreme court. You can try, but guess who you have to combat them to? The supreme court. So it's very difficult, right, to try to have real democracy. It's stunted democracy. It's democracy in word, right? However, if you are to counterpose the liberal revolution and rights that come from the French Revolution to what the proletarian revolution in Paris, France in 1871 was able to accomplish, here you see real democracy. Now, what's the difference? Well, speaking as a non-historian, I know for a fact that the main difference was, as Marx put in the Communist Manifesto, the working class in the Paris Commune did not simply, quote, lay hold of the ready-made state machinery and wield it for its own, unquote. What that means is they did not just go into power and keep the same government structures intact, keep the same types of power structure intact. They did not change the context of the state. We still existed in a backwards bourgeois society where the minority class, hey, the intelligent minority you know, like all the liberal thinkers who believed everything that they said was gold and the masses and people were just doomed to poverty and dumbness and everything because the liberal thinkers were just genius and these other folks just, you know, were born dumb. This is the same thinking that Emma Goldman is purporting. She is perpetuating liberalism as an anarchist. What, what a surprise, right? So here we have a problem. Because in the Paris Commune, what they did is they completely smashed the state as it had existed before. Because prior to this, the state existed as the rule of the few over the many. Whereas through the proletarian smashing and recreating of the state, you had the rule of the majority over the minority. Now we know the minority, the intelligent minorities wouldn't like this because they would not have the say. They would not have power. They would not have control. They would not get to decide how to solve the social and economic issues that they believe are social and economic issues. Remember that. 
because right now there's social and economic issues like the rent moratorium being lifted and people going completely crazy evicting folks and throwing people on the side of the street. Line 3 is still being built under the supposed progressive administration of Biden. The bourgeoisie does not deem these things as social and economic issues because guess what? Enbridge is paying a nice fucking penny to all parties involved. So it's not a social and economic issue according to the bourgeoisie, according to the intelligent minority. So therefore, when the intelligent minority that Emma Goldman was talking about decides that, I don't know, uh, the state, right? The state is not a social issue. We do not have to change the framework of the state. We just have to abolish it. That's completely disregarding the people's lives. Because you cannot just abolish the state for the working class. What happens then? You abolish the state. You abolish the government. Nobody has food stamps. Nobody has social security. Nobody has any kind of safety net, which we don't really have. But they have none at all because there's no one to do it for them. If we eliminate the state tomorrow, the police officers and military officials who have guns in their holsters can then kill us at an even more exaggerated rate than they already are doing and getting away with with the existence of a bourgeois state made up of supposedly intelligent minorities. When we look at this problem here, we have to understand why this is an incorrect analysis by Emma Goldman. Completely, completely incorrect. It is complete revisionism. It is completely commandist. And it is 100% in line with the liberal democracy which we live under today and no does not help us. Now, Emma Goldman lived in the 1800s. We'll give her the benefit of the doubt. Maybe she didn't know how bad it got. Except for the fact that when she was alive, children were still working in coal factories. So, at least here in the United States, they aren't, right? Thanks, thanks, liberal democracy. Now we get to just not care about the children working in coal mines across the country. This is the issue, right? And this is an issue that we, on the left need to clearly understand. A great way to understand it is by learning history, which this person who posted this quote and the person who said the quote, Emma Goldman, had zero concept of historical development. They had zero concept of any form of kind of intelligent understanding of the way that human society operates. Now, again, Earlier, we're talking about the utopian society without rules, without police, without government, without any kind of laws, etc., which an anarchist might want to work towards. This is the same goal of a communist, right? As we commonly say, a stateless, moneyless, classless society. The difference here is understanding the progress and the process of how we get here. Now, an anarchist does not believe in the state, right? They they find that any form of power corrupts. So they cannot support a state, whether it's the bourgeois state or the proletarian state. So let's look at examples of how the proletarian state has corrupted. So in 1871, we have the Paris Commune. 
One of the first things it did was it instilled a law which made all the police and all the government officials subject to revocation. They could be removed at any time by a popular vote of the commune. They also only made a a regular wage. They did not make any more money than the average person. They also almost immediately instilled a compulsory school, which not only taught mathematics, science, language, etc. It taught the humanities, history, sociology, or um, philosophy, but it also taught societal skills. Not working skills like we learn in our schools, which we're told will help us in the future, but only help us in this future, the capitalist future, the future where you and I are exploited and oppressed for the rest of our lives and made to work 60% of our days away until we die. That's the world that, that, that benefits us in. Not a true, equal human society, which is what we, both anarchists and communists, are working towards. Under the proletarian state in Paris, they were able to set up a people's army. Now, why is this important? Well, if you look at the difference between the revolution, uh, the socialist movement in, say, Bolivia versus the socialist revolution in Burkina Faso or in Cuba, the difference is the military, albeit not a people's army, but the military was in support of the revolution under Cuba and under Burkina Faso. Whereas in Bolivia, the MAS party and Evo Morales, being the first indigenous leader of Bolivia, saw truly how different and how important it is to have the people armed and in support and working alongside with the popular revolution for proletarian uh, guidance. The difference is when Janine Añez and all her Christian uh, uh, evangelical crazy heads came into uh, Bolivia with guns provided by the Macri government from Argentina They came right in and guess what? They said, hey, let's fucking massacre the indigenous people. And you know what the military did? They massacred over 36 indigenous people, injured over 200. They went to Evo Morales' house while he was thankfully already gone, intending to kill him. They killed multiple MAS supporters. They, what we call, disappeared, many more. They went into the indigenous lands. They burned ground down. They shot activists. They destroyed crops. They raped women. What did the Cuban military do eventually after the Cuban revolution was able to succeed in meeting the needs of the masses? The Cuban government was overthrown with the help of the military. Now, sure, was it the whole military? No, of course not. Most of the military actually did not like Castro because most of the military was making hella bank under Fugencio Bautista. So they didn't care about any kind of social or economic issues that they needed to change. No, 
they didn't have economic issues. They didn't have social issues. But if you look at the situation in Burkina Faso, we see an even better example. Because the military officers who Thomas Sankara had gained the trust of turned their backs on their salaries. Was it all of them? No. But this is the thing. We cannot be so purist in our understanding of success and failure. What we have between success and failure is a dialectic. You cannot have success without failure. You cannot understand it without failure. You cannot understand failure without success. And guess what? You don't often get to success without failing time and time again. So here's what I have to pose. Here's a question I have to pose. And, uh, you know, I I, want to kind of talk this out. How do we expect, especially here in the United States, or, I, I mean, maybe even a great example might be India right now. Hundreds of millions of farmers went out into the streets to demand the revocation of three laws which essentially signed away agriculture to private industry. We here in America know exactly what that did. Monsanto now owns the farming industry. No farmer can exist simply off of the sustainable economy that they once were able to succeed in. So India, because of years of neoliberalism already... Their farmers are very worried about these private industries coming in. So what do they do? They go out in the streets and they demand that these laws be revocated, taken away. Now, in the United States, we have quite a few laws that pass that are very problematic, that are extremely oppressive. You don't hear you don't hear a peep about it. Now, we might have 50,000 people in New York protesting it while 150,000 in LA are doing the same thing. But guess what? That's not changing the fact that those laws are being passed in both places. The difference, and this is the understanding that some folks in the anarchist realm and also some folks just in the left generally do not understand. We cannot change this problem while participating in the governmental, societal, and economic practices and structures which these oppressive groups of people have set up and perpetuated. That wouldn't make sense, right? Like, these oppressive and dictatorial groups have decided for themselves how the electoral process is going to operate They have decided for themselves what laws they are going to pass and how they are going to pass them. They have decided who's going to pass the laws. They have also decided what bodies of government have power and what ones have a voice. You see, here we understand the difference between freedom of speech and political freedom. Because freedom of speech means we can get on Facebook and say, Hey, I don't like that law that you just passed. Freedom of speech means even we can go down to the ballot box and we can say on a piece of paper that they may or may not read that says, hey, I don't like this law. 
But we don't have any guaranteed rights to then break from this system, which is doing that. We do not have the power to secede and break away from such an oppressive regime. If we try to, we are imprisoned, we are killed, we are exiled, and we are made example of time and time again. All over the world we see this. Look at how we chastise and condemn Castro, Che. Look at how we condemn folks from Soviet Russia. Look at how we condemn the Chinese Revolution. And yet, the violence here is unacceptable. We do not condemn such, quote, terroristic acts. But what was the American Revolution? Was this not violent? Oh, absolutely. The American Revolution and what led up to it was one of the most genocidal wars up until the Civil War. You had an undeclared war on indigenous people since the day that the white settlers stepped foot on this land. That is a 200 plus year war. Now here we see that it is not simply enough to be able to disagree with a form of government. It is not simply enough to be able to speak out against a form of government. The only true ability to change the material reality to solve the, quote, social and economic issues is to have the power to do so yourselves. I cannot walk into Congress, the Senate, or the House of Representatives with an idea on my mind and expect that to come to fruition. I'm, I'm laughable. I'm crazy. If I think that I can go on TV or go even speak to the president or whomever in our government and say, this is my idea. This is what I think needs to happen. This is what the people need. Look at the millions of petitions we signed to get kids out of cages. Look at the millions of donations that go into lawsuits to try to take away the, uh, the all kinds of oppressive laws and organizations that this government allows to continue. And what happens? Nothing. Because they are in power. They have the guns. They are in charge of the private prisons, which they make money off of. What power, what force do we have to change this outside of a violent revolution? We cannot expect in any sort of logical thinking that such a violent and genocidal regime such as the United States of America would ever, ever allow anything to take even an ounce of their control away. This is why 10 years after $15 could have been an affordable median wage for people to live on, now we are seeing $15 being fought for again as the minimum wage. And what does the government do? They don't pass the law. This is because in a system such as our capitalist one, when you have all the money 
when you have all the power, when you have all the control over society, and you do not work, you know, these groups of people, the Biden administration is not producing the food that they are eating. They are not producing any of the equipment that they are using to fly all over the world. That's folks like you and me that are doing that. But if folks like you and me were able to make the actual wage that we deserve for doing that, A, that would take money out of these people's pockets, and B, that would put that money in our pockets. Now, we know capitalism is a, quote, free market competition. The only word that's true there is competition. The reason why it is not a free market is because you have to have money to buy in. You can buy things from the market, but you cannot participate in the control of the market unless you have enough money to spend. Most people do not have, let's see, I think Jeff Bezos is now almost at $300 billion. So that means in order to participate in the free market, in the same free market that Jeff Bezos basically controls everything in, you would have to have logically here, let's think about this, don't just disagree with me because I'm saying things you don't agree with, but if you want to participate in this free market here, logically, you would have to have at least as much as Jeff Bezos or some of the richest people like Jeff Bezos or more. Because capitalism is not just some system where you throw money at things and there goes the money. We wouldn't have businesses if that were a thing. The point of having money is to make money. And in order to make money, guess what? You can't have 15 different companies doing the same thing because then that's 15 different ways that profit is getting divided. We want one person making that profit. But here's the cool thing about folks like Jeff Bezos, right? Under a capitalist system, and I know I'm kind of rambling here, so I'm going to get back on track really quick, but let's just say real quick. In a capitalist system, again, the goal is to make a profit. The natural conclusion of a system such as this is to work, be able to make your company, your corporation, your factory, etc., the most efficient, the most cost-effective, and the most productive place to get the things that you are selling. Now, in order to do that, again, you gotta have a lot of fucking money. And you also gotta have more money than the other guy that's building TVs, or the other uh, person who's making t-shirts, or the other person who's building shipping containers. In order to do that, you gotta have a lot more money, or you gotta have enough money to buy them. This is a thing that we like to call concentration. Concentration of wealth, the national, natural progression of capitalism is to centralization or concentration. Because as one company makes more and more money, it is cheaper for them to simply buy out and own the shipping companies, the distribution center, the resources, the resource uh, equipment, the mills and other places where you produce those uh, resources into goods, the uh, 
you know, distrib- uh, yeah, I already said all that. It's cheaper to own all that stuff than it is to own just the resources and pay every single person I just mentioned to take your resource and make it into a commodity to sell. So you lose out on profit. So it is more profitable in this sense to own it all than it is to pay each person. And it's also more profitable because now you are making money off of the distribution. You're making money off of the shipping. You're making money off of the shipping containers. You're making money off of what's in the shipping containers. That's a lot of money. Why do you think these people are so, 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 so rich? Because they own every single step in the process of turning resources into commodities for sale. From the point of taking the stuff out of the ground to the money going into their bank account, they get paid. And guess who doesn't? You and me. This is because to do so, they would have to give up a part of their profit, a.k.a. a part of their power. Now, if they give up their power in a system such as ours, which is... Excuse me here. It is a bourgeois system, a class society built on the rule of the minority over the majority. The intelligent minority, remember that. Thanks, Emma Goldman. In this society, them giving up their power is unthinkable. Because what's the point of working towards power in order to give it up? What's the point of making a bunch of money just to give it away? In a capitalist system, that's illogical. We need to stop thinking about people in their individual choices and their free will and start thinking about structures and systems because that is how our society is built. It is built on structures and systems. Now, this is a disagreeable point for many folks on the left. They do not want to think that we are not free to make our own choices because here we see the fact that, you know, not for nothing... This would mean that I'm not a stupid asshole for voting for uh, Howie Hawkins last November, or two Novembers ago. Shit. That would mean, you know, kind of, I really don't know how to say it, but if we view things in structures and systems, we have to understand them concretely. We don't just get to have opinions or ideas about them. And this means study. This also means that you can be wrong, which I may be from time to time, believe it or not. You might not think so by the way I talk and the arrogance that I have, but I I am wrong moderately frequently. (laughs) So anyways, we're talking about why this kind of system wouldn't work, why expecting that these quote-unquote intelligent minorities would not um, just simply perpetuate the same issues that we're having today. Um, We talked about why we have the need for violence, for a violent revolution, what violence really can be, how we support some violence here, but, you know, condemn some violence there. Um, This is all just to kind of point out here the need for a little bit more concrete study on the side of the left. And I really want to finish this out with just a little discussion about why I feel that is. Um, We talked about it earlier. We are miseducated. We can't outright 
change that right here, right now. We can, however, for those of us who have opportunities to do so, go ahead and try to advance our own understandings. Now, when we are going to do that, there's a lot of ways we can do that. You know, a lot of folks like philosophy. Philosophy is cool. A lot of folks like history. History is also really cool. Some folks like learning about law. Some folks like learning about ethics. Some folks like learning about economics or sociology. These are all different ways that you can try to look at how we can begin to fix the, remember, social and economic issues. If you are to do so, go ahead and learn one or all of these things, you might come to some pretty good answers. You're going to come to a lot of answers, actually. If you look at all these different fields of study, they each, believe it or not, have answers for these problems. Um, now, we know that, or I would hope we know, that some of these answers are, in fact, not answers. They are incorrect conclusions. And, you know, a lot of us don't want to admit that we can come to incorrect conclusions. A lot of us don't want to think that we can be wrong, because guess what? We then feel guilt, we feel remorse, we feel uh, unintelligent. But this is not the way that we should be able to view incorrect ideas. As I was discussing earlier, you cannot have success without failure. You cannot have correct ideas without first incorrect ideas. Because in order to get to a correct idea, you have to be told that your incorrect idea is incorrect. Or you have to be shown why one idea is correct and one isn't. Otherwise, who's to say? So here we have the need for more than just opinions, more than just simple knowledge, more than just ideas. We need concrete Material conclusions. Now, what do I mean by this? I mean by concrete material conclusions that the actions or steps that we will take to solve these issues will eliminate the issue outright. Because here's the great thing about answers. Some of them can be half right. We can say... We need more representation of black and brown voices in our government structures. Nobody can disagree with that. And if you do, you're a racist, probably. Actually, I'm not, you're a racist. So what do we do? Well, because we have certain structures set in place, we then go about trying to participate in those structures. We are told our whole life the way in which laws and all these things are decided. And we are also told, and kind of maybe not explicitly told, but it is certainly implied, that these individuals who are making these choices are good people trying to do good things. Or, at the very least, they most often are. So then, if you as a black or brown person feels that this government in the United States is not doing enough for you, for black and brown people in general, and you feel something needs to be done about it, you might decide to run for local, 
state, maybe even federal office. But let's talk about what can be done by this. So let's say, just for, you know, mere example, and then we'll break it down here. Let's say you get any one of those offices. You know, you can think congressperson, you can think president, you can think mayor, you can think minister of defense, you can think whatever. Here you have a government structure which has multiple different government bodies. In those government bodies, you have multiple different people, each of whom is purporting, oftentimes, different ideas. How do we come to conclusions on these ideas? Because ultimately, you came to a conclusion by thinking that in order to solve social and economic issues, your conclusion was, I have to get into political office. Well, now we see how that conclusion, albeit correct in one sense, correct according to our teaching since the day we were born, however, not correct in the reality, we understand how ideas can seem correct, but can in fact be incorrect. And we can take it a step further and break it down and say, okay, you make it into office, whatever office that is, and you're trying to decide on how to change these economic issues. Well, you come to the table with your uh, idea of how you want to go about trying to solve these issues. And if you are in some form of a liberal democratic government structure, which most of you would be in here in the United States, then you have to understand that it is not your voice and your voice solely which goes towards deciding what is to be done. It is your voice plus the voice of the people who are paying you, the people who are paying the other people to oppose you. It is the voice of the people who participate in any kind of way in uh, forming these laws. You know, you have all the interns and different individuals who have to go ahead and write up these laws, uh, write up these um uh, bills, I should say. Um, you have all the researchers, which I would hope you are paying to inform you about what would be correct decisions here. And all of this can lead you to a lot of different quote-unquote solutions. Now, if you the black or brown person who made it into office because that was your conclusion on how to solve the problem, you are now in office and a bill is coming up about how to change the situation for black and brown people in the United States in order to solve their social and economic issues. You are in a body of government, which is ultimately the ones who are going to decide these things. But if we look at our government here in the United States, we know that a majority of those people who would be speaking on that issue are not going to be black or brown. We also know here that because of this, they are going to come to some pretty incorrect conclusions. But now you are within a system on top of this. I mean, there's so many layers to this, but on top of this, you are also now a part of the intelligent minority. You, a sole black or brown person in a crowd of some or none more black and brown people are deciding for the fate of over some 50, 
Jesus Christ. I think it's 50 to 70 million black and brown folks here in the United States. It's probably more than that. I don't know. But how do you expect that all the social and economic issues which are facing black and brown people can be solved in this sort of system? After that little discussion about how that would work, how do you expect that that would work? Do you expect it would work? Because not for nothing, I don't. Um, so we have to recognize that far before us, far before most of you who are listening to my show probably have ever stepped on this earth, there were theories about how to solve the problems that we are facing today. Hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of theories, too, throughout hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of human development. At each stage of human development, human beings face different problems, and they face them in different ways, and they face them with different ideas. One thing that we have not tried here in the United States and in most of the capitalist world is giving people true democracy. Now, what is true democracy? Because we're told we have democracy. We get to vote, right? We get to vote freely. We get to have an opinion. We get to have a say. Well, again, to the whole point of secession earlier, if the political power, which is in place, is disagreeable to a majority of the people, according to any law here in the United States, it is incorrect or punishable by law for them to commit treason against that government, to try to break away from it, to try to overthrow it, to try to whatever, to make sure that that group who is in power is no longer in power because they are disagreeable to the, the broad majority of people. How are they going to do it? How is that group of people who is suffering. Because this is the thing. It's not about the fact that we don't like shit. People are dying because the United States government does not care about COVID. The United States government does not care about the $590 billion worth of food waste that is thrown away every single year that could instead be saved and given to people who actually need it. Food could be guaranteed as a human right. It could be subsidized and it could be given out in rations, which are equal and fair to every single person on this land here. That is 100% a possibility. But because it does not get done, we know that the United States government, the quote, intelligent minority, has no interest whatsoever in the masses, just like Emma Goldman did. And so how does the masses, who we are a part of, by the way, if you here in America or in the West as a Marxist try to separate yourself from the masses, you are playing commandist, you are playing idealist, and you are playing uh, great man theory. So I'm going to need you to sit the fuck back and realize you are literally just one person. You are one person that does not have the power that you think you do. You have a lot of power, but Jesus Christ, do all these people who think that they have the ultimate moral idea think that if they just snap their fingers and say it to the right people, it's all going to work out. Yeah, I'm sure Emma, Emma Goldman, the person who said revolution is not going to come through the masses, did a great job of getting with the masses, right? Yeah, that's why Emma Goldman actually had all these successful revolutions that she was, oh, oh wait, no, she didn't. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. She didn't have successful revolution. Oh, huh. Well, anywho, the issue here is quite simple. True democracy is the ability for the mass of the people to decide in action what it is they are going to exist under, what conditions they are going to live under, what social and economic issues need to be solved. That will be decided through action if the people were truly living in a democratic society. But instead, it's done in word. It's done in, quote, representation. So here's my final point. We need Marxism. If you feel that Marxism is some Eurocentric theory, which, you know, a bunch of white men proposed and they were just, you know, a bunch of whatevers who just had some ideas and threw them out there and hoped they would stick. A, you know, not for nothing, it really disgusts me how much folks on the left want to side with our oppressors, want to listen to Western media, want to keep this anti-communist rhetoric going. Um, It's pretty, uh, not for nothing, it's pretty pathetic. Um, You're not thinking for yourself. Um, You are just supporting an oppressive ideology which has killed millions of people. Um, Throughout the 40s and 50s, you can go on YouTube and find some documentaries. Over 5,000 gay people were killed and imprisoned, uh, being, uh, you know, called communists. Um, This is the ideas that you're siding with here. So, um, fuck you. But for those of you who can get down and understand why communism and Marxism are a little bit more than just ideas, we have to be learning about these things as much as we can. I mean, you just listened to me try to explain this. Obviously, I need to do more learning. But I've taken the time to learn these things because I want other folks to be interested and learn about them just like I am. Because they are interesting. They are important. And I believe they are our ticket to a successful revolution, a successful overthrow of oppression, of capitalist hegemony, and of imperialism. This is what I believe. Now, This is the cool thing about living in this liberal democracy. I get to believe that in quiet. But unlike everybody who believes that, you know, Thomas Hobbes, John Locke, all these different individuals had great ideas, they get to write newspapers, they get to write movies, they get to be on the TV shows, they get into government positions, etc., etc. They become the teachers, they become the the folks who decide the, um, what the teachers teach, can't think of it right now, the curriculum. Uh, They are the folks who write the history books. They are the folks who write the economics books, the sociology books, the psychology, the philosophy books. So, you know, this group of people, they they don't have much interest in relinquishing their power. Um, And the only way that we are going to allow them to allow them, the only way that we are going to be able to stop them from being such dominating force is by coming to concrete conclusions, which will succeed, not just in our minds, But we can go back in history and see how proletarian and 
violent revolutions have succeeded. We certainly know that violent revolutions succeed because we live in a country which was built by violent revolutions. Most people do. That's how nation states developed. They were different warring nationalities who formed themselves into states for the sake of defense against violent revolution by another. And so they could have violent revolutions against others they didn't like. But anyways, I'm getting too close to the need for uh, to open my uh, store up. So real quick, I just want to finish with Marxism needs to be learned. And I don't mean Marxism needs to be learned from uh, um, Professor Richard Wolff. I don't mean Marxism needs to be learned from your homie who read the Communist Manifesto when he was 14. And I don't mean Marxism needs to be understood by what people on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, etc. say about it. We as human beings do absolutely no intelligent investigation ourselves to be able to form our own ideas and mentalities. As Marx says, social consciousness is determined by social being, but the way in which that is combated is by opening up a fucking book and reading. Go teach yourself. Go learn. You are able to. You are smart. Every single one of us is. If you got to learn it in a book or you got to learn it on YouTube, go learn it. Go learn about Marxism. For real. Go do it on your own. Don't listen to me. Because guess what? If you want to tell me my Marxism is shit, I have way more knowledge of Marxism than you do. So you're going to come in with broad generalizations and I'm going to have concrete empirical facts. So you better come at me with some real shit. You better have read my shit and sound like an intelligent human being when you speak, not just a mouth with a hand up its ass. Don't be a puppet. Stop being a pawn in their hands. Think for your fucking self. So if you are still listening to the show, I appreciate you very much. Um, I hope you have a great rest of your day, great rest of your evening, afternoon, whatever time it is for you. Um, If you wouldn't mind, please go ahead and follow me and reach out if you'd like on Instagram. Uh, You can like my page on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter and TikTok as well. Uh, You can also reach out to me if you'd like at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com. There's no caps or spaces there. Uh, You can reach out to me for whatever reason. You know, Um, I like trying to talk to people. So yeah, hit me up for whatever reason. Um, Also, uh, go support the Red Lake Treaty Camp however you can. Go on their website, figure out how to donate, figure out how to get there to stop Line 3. Folks, we got to start taking action. The earth is dying, being murdered. And guess what? There's 20 corporations whose CEOs, board of directors, etc. all have names, all have addresses. So, yeah. Um, Thanks for listening, folks. Please stay safe uh, with the Delta and Gamma variant in the United States. Things are getting real. Please get vaccinated if you can. If you need help doing so, reach out to me. Um, And, yeah, uh, have a great, great day. Stay safe. Stay revolutionary. And we'll see you next time. All right.